0: We are living in some really confusing times, aren't we? Wouldn't it be nice if we could be assured that the future would be very much like the past? Every generation experiences change, of course. But sometimes you sense that you're in the midst of a truly radical, change, the kind that happens only every few centuries. Most futurists believe we are in one of those revolutionary changes now. In looking toward the future, I have good news and bad news. The good news is, eventually, things will become normal. The bad news is, it will be a normal that none of us has ever experienced and probably won't even recognize. This is true globally. Our planet and its inhabitants are moving into new territory as we progress through the 21st century. And while it is true that some of the things that affect us broadly, culturally, also affect the church. We focus our attention specifically this morning on the church. At times in the Bible, we are admonished to remember, as in Isaiah 46:9, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. The whole point of Passover was to help the Israelites remember that they had once been slaves in Egypt, but God delivered them. And of course, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we recall Jesus' own words, do this in remembrance of me." But in the passage of Scripture, Pastor Kristen read for us a few moments ago, we are told by St. Paul to forget those things which lie behind us. Just as he forgot all of those pedigree things that made him outstanding in the eyes of his peers, he said he regarded those things as rubbish. So, the dual charge to both remember and forget seems appropriate for us this morning as a starting point. We remember, of course, that our church, First Baptist, has been, since 1875, sharing the good news of christ and loving people the people of waynesboro into the kingdom of god and through our mission efforts loving the people around the globe into the kingdom old timers and i will let you self-identify old timers here will remember the glory days of our church when every pew was Occupied, and even the balcony was nearly filled. I have listened to nostalgic recollections as people recall those former days, the times of pastors like J. Dwight Pentecost, or Ed Bratcher, Ron Higdon, Don Retzer, Bill Wilson, Dave Washburn and that other guy who was here. What was his name? (laughs) J. Barrett Owen. Each one brought his own skill set and their spiritual gifts to the pastoral task. Naturally, the influence of these significant persons have lasting effects and should be remembered. But they must also be forgotten in the sense that we cannot pine for the past. We all know the truth that things change, times change, churches changed, methods change. Those of us who have been around 70 or 80 or 90 years know this even better than our younger companions, don't we? Shortly after the end of the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky farmstead and talked with the woman of the farm, a widow woman, who was enraged over the damage federal artillery had done to a once beautiful tree in front of her stately home. She insisted that the tree was a casualty of war and wanted Lee to condemn those northern forces for what she called a senseless attack on her property. Or at least she wanted him to sympathize with her over what she considered a great and unjust loss. After looking at the tree and listening to the woman, Lee paused for a moment and said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. So, what should we forget as we move into the future? forget the way we used to do things. I was the interim pastor of a church in Nashville, Tennessee in the mid-1980s. This, this church was unusual in the sense that it, it was itself a time warp. You walked in and you had the sense that you were back in the 1950s. It was hanging on to the way things had been done earlier, and they wanted everything to be done just like they were then. Remember two-week revivals? No, (laughs) of course not. Most of you do not. But there was a time every year after the harvest were gathered that, that nearly every church would have a protracted meeting, a two-week revival. Gradually, that was replaced by in a more abbreviated one-week revival, and now we hardly hear of a church having a revival at all. Does this mean that Christians these days are less sincere, or not as fully committed to evangelism as in days gone by? No. It means that revivals are no longer as effective as, means, as a means of evangelizing unbelievers. Times change. But occasionally, I will hear someone say, you know what we need is a good old-fashioned revival. Well, absolutely. Our church and every church I know about needs some reviving, but revival meetings are not going to do the trick. We all know that we are in the midst of change, First John has these words, It does not yet appear what we shall be. How true these words are when we apply them to our own times. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. We know things are changing. We are caught in the middle of a revolution of sorts and we do not know what the result will be, what the future will be like, what the church will be like. But we can be reasonably sure that it won't look like the church of the past. The church of the future, in all likelihood, will not enjoy the privilege of cultural favoritism, We see the changes taking place dramatically illustrated this past week when Great Britain selected its first ever non-Christian prime minister, a Hindu. And while I have to have my own personal doubts that some of the former prime ministers fit neatly into the Christian category, they at least called themselves that. The Pew Research Center says that if current trends continue uninterrupted, by 2070, fewer than half of Americans will claim to be Christians. Another research organization called the Barna Group says 48% of millennials, those aged 20 to 38 in our time, can be called post Christian in their beliefs, their thinking, and their worldview. Should this discourage us? Of course. And no, of course not. Yes. It should discourage us since each year a growing percentage of population describes itself as having no religious affiliation at all. That's discouraging. Owing to our Christian roots, in the distant past, the Bible was generally accepted as authoritative. So Billy Graham could famously say, the Bible says... And people listened. But the Bible is no longer viewed as authoritative, tragically, even by some religious groups. The time is long gone when people almost universally agreed that they ought to go to church, even if they didn't. We, the Christ followers, of decades to come, must move forward into a culture that's mostly apathetic or even hostile toward the church. When asked whether they view Congress as more trustworthy than religious leaders, The research organization revealed that Congress was viewed as more trustworthy. I'm ashamed of that. So we must forget the glory days, the good old days when Almost all Americans had common core beliefs, and we must remember who we are and what we are doing here. We must be clear about our mission, or we will die. At the turn of the 20th century, almost everyone relied on horse and buggy to get around. Then the automobile burst on the scene, and those blacksmiths and buggy manufacturers who understood their, that their great greater mission was to get people from point A to point B were quick to leave their methods of making horseshoes and buggies and make auto parts and auto bodies. Those who didn't understand that died. Many of us here, here remember when we captured those precious family times. We called them Kodak moments. Remember? Then came the digital revolution, and suddenly we didn't need to buy film and send it away to be processed. But Kodak Didn't see the opportunity that presented, and it didn't understand the threat it posed. And Kodak is virtually gone. It went the way of Sears. All of this is to say we must hold firm to being the church. But be willing to turn loose of the way we do church. Look around you. We are the church. This building is precious to us because we have dedicated it to God. This is for us sacred space. Here, people have been converted to the faith. Here, people have been baptized into the church. Here, people have been married. Here, tears have been shed, some in joy and some in mourning. This is a sacred place, but the building is only a building. We are the church, and we don't require this or any other building to be the church. That's why we call buildings Facilities, they facilitate our mission as a church, but they are not the mission itself. Not only must we choose mission over our methods, but we must also choose the right mission. I could take you to abandoned churches in church buildings in our state, which are closed because the mission of the church shifted from an outward focus to keeping the doors open. And when that becomes the mission, they may as well lock the doors because it has ceased to be a church as precious as our methods are to us we must recognize them as methods and not the mission things have long taken things we have long taken as essential in worship will be up for grabs in the future and we must not confuse the way we tell the old old story with the story itself choirs tell the story. But they're they're not really the story. They tell the story. The organ only helps us tell the story. If it becomes the story, we're in trouble. Dr. Fred Anderson, who was for many years head of the Virginia Baptist Historical Society, told me of a humorous but true incident. In the life of one of Virginia Baptists' most significant historical persons, Jeremiah Bell Jeter. I would venture to say most of you don't know that name, but you should. I'll just leave it at that. You can Google Jeremiah Bell Jeter. But In 1849, he left the pastorate of First Baptist Church of Richmond because controversies were brewing. One of those controversies was whether the church should install an organ, an instrument which, in the mind of many Baptists of the day, was associated with theaters and entertainment houses and highly liturgical churches. And Jeter was against it. In leaving Richmond, he accepted the call to Second Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. In those days, moving halfway across the continent required more time, of course, than it does today. So between the time Jeter accepted the call and actually arrived on the field in St. Louis the church decided to surprise their new pastor by installing an organ. (laughs) I think God has a sense of humor. But the same can be said, uh, let me say first of all, um, that the organ... And the choir facilitate our worship quite well. Don't you agree? But the same can be said of electric guitars and drums. They help us tell the story. Even the traditional sermon only tells the story. It is not the story itself. Now, please understand, I am not advocating abandoning these things yet. But when they cease to facilitate and begin to restrict the telling of the story, we've got to turn them loose. I read the report of a futurist this week who predicted that church music of the future will be hip-hop and rap music. My own prediction is, as long as there are alternatives, many of us will take them. And I must say that my idea of heaven is not an eternity of listening to hip hop and rap music. But if that's the case, I trust that God will change my way of thinking enough to embrace it. How will churches pay for ministries they provide in the future? That too is a question we can't fully answer at this point. We will, of course, continue our sacrificial giving. But with the meteoric rise of nonprofit organizations which seek donations, and in most cases from Christian people, churches will find growing competition for offering, uh, for offering dollars, which will become increasingly scarce. We believe the church of the future will have to become more adept at funding its enterprises as a business we will pay taxes on that portion of the income derived from business practices, of course, but as a percentage of a non-religious population increases, it's just a matter of time before tax exemption is removed, perhaps. I don't think it will happen immediately, but the handwriting is on the wall, so to speak. Earlier when I asked if I was discouraged, I said yes and no. No, we are not discouraged despite all of this, because ultimately people come to Christ based not on our skill in presenting the gospel, but because the Holy Spirit has convicted them and they have heard God's voice calling them into a relationship with Himself. The church is God's idea, not ours. Redemption is God's idea, not ours. As we move into this great unknown future, we have confidence in God's eternal nature. He already inhabits the future. He's already there. We have nothing to fear. As we enter the future, we, the individual Christians, will have to become more serious about our faith. Those who are experiencing or expecting, rather, a convenient faith or an accommodating faith or an easy faith or a discipleship without cost will fall by the wayside. The church will undoubtedly, if the futurists are correct, become smaller, but it will be stronger and more faithful. In the past, it has been easy to be a Christian. But when we are a minority, and perhaps even a persecuted minority, it will be less so. But the church has always become strong and potent when persecuted. A few years ago, I spent three weeks in China and had the opportunity uh, opportunity to worship with several churches there. In each case, I had to be very selective about which service I chose because there were so many people trying to get into the church in the various multiple services offered, I couldn't be assured of a seat if I just showed up at any time. I talked with a a former pastor who had been the pastor during the Cultural Revolution and it was so restrictive, he was sent to work in a factory far from Shanghai, where the church was located. The church was closed, but finally restrictions were eased, and he was released from his forced labor in the factory. He returned to the church on a Thursday, or the church field, Returned home on a Thursday, and they decided we're going to have church Sunday. They had no mailing list, no way to get the word out, so they re- relied on word of mouth to let the church know we're back in business. We're we're going to have church Sunday. He showed up at five. 30 that morning that first sunday morning to get things set for the first worship service and found a crowd already gathered the church is strong during times of persecution We cannot know, of course, what the future will be like for our church. We can know that if we are faithful to God's leadership in calling a pastor that we believe He is leading us to, that pastor along with our faithful people will be all that God requires for His work to be done here. We cannot know the future, but we can know this. Whatever comes, God will still be God, and we will still be faithful followers of Christ. What was it Isaiah said again? Remember the former things long past. For I am God. There is no other. I am God. And there is no one like me. And I can't be discouraged because of that.